0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 134 of the Speaking Club podcast. I started watching a rap contest on Netflix called Rhythm and Flow, and I've been fascinated, especially when I found out that there's a formula for rap that's quite close to comedy. setup, metaphor, punchline. It's made me want to have a go. So, here's a quick verse I put together for you, you lucky thing. I'm here to help you powerfully communicate, but it's about landing your message like a jump jet. Not looking great. If that works, then listen up. Let's make this a regular date. I started this podcast for two reasons because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Well, hello! Did you enjoy my granny award-winning rap there? Yes, I did say granny, not Grammy. It might not win me any awards, but do you know what? If I want some space on my own, I only have to rap, and everyone I love leaves the room, apparently for my own safety. Thank you for joining me again. And I hope that you're having a wonderful week and you and your family are safe and well. Well, I'm so excited about this episode because I've gone a bit of a legend on the show. His background is in direct response marketing. And I believe it's going to be so valuable for you and your speaking to hear his message. And that's because I truly believe that speaking is marketing. I actually call it sparketing. Because no matter whether it's a project, change, idea or or a product or service, you've got to sell it to get people buying in or buying your stuff. And as speakers, we have to be great copywriters too, because the words that we speak have to be relatable and compelling. And combined with storytelling, humour and performance skills, these words have to inspire and motivate our audience to say yes and take action. And besides the marketing that we do with our talks on our stage, whether that's online or in front of a live audience, we need to use the power of marketing to get the opportunities to speak to our audience in the first place. Given all of this, I would urge you to hang on every word of my guest, Brian Kurtz. He's been a pioneer of direct response marketing for the last 40 years, and he's worked with and been mentored by some of the legends in this arena. He's also been speaking about direct response marketing for over 30 years. And in this show, he's sharing some of the biggest lessons he's learned from those giants with you. Right then, without further ado, let's switch over to my interview with Brian. Welcome to The Speaking Club, Brian Kurtz.
1: Oh, thank you, Sarah. This was this is uh, exciting for me because, you know, the UK um, has been... A market that I've, I've i've entered in and out just because uh, you know p- people buy books from me and things like that but i'm getting more involved and um i really was very pleased when you reached out so thank yeah. you and plus you had done some research on me like you were you know i you weren't a stalker but it was it was good and uh you're so prepared for this interview and i hopefully i am too so thank you
0: <laughs> well I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on the show it's uh I've been on your list for quite a while, and I, I've your book, and I've also bought another book that that you you share, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So I'm I'm very very pleased to well, have you're you. You're not
1: only on my list, but you're part of my online family.
0: Excellent. And I really
1: mean that. So thank you.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. Smashing. Well, first of all, there may be people listening who don't actually know what direct marketing is. So I wondered if you could briefly explain what it is. And also, I'd love to know at what point in your career that you fell in love with it?
1: So the, the, the quick, uh, I'll give you a quick, I could, I could go on about direct marketing forever, but you know, all marketing should be direct marketing. And what all, all it means really is that it's measurable, accountable advertising. So that when you buy media, whether it's whether you do an email, whether you buy on Facebook, whether you do direct mail, whatever... You send out stuff and you get orders back, or you make money on it, or um, uh, you calculate how much you made. And you don't have to make money on the first mailing, on the first whatever, because lifetime value is where you want to calculate. And I'll get into it. if you, it, I can go down a, a, another rabbit hole there. But the point is that um, every piece of advertising has to pay out at some point, and that's that's the easy definition. And it's it it you juxtapose it with general advertising or compare it to general advertising, which is like the Mad Men of the 60s and on Madison Avenue where you know, you're know you doing a, a pitch for, a, for Lucky Strike cigarettes and you're showing them you know, um, a storyboard and it's a commercial and the commercial, they say, oh, brilliant, this is great. And they run it and there's no call to action. There's no way to find out how well it did. But then they sold more cigarettes that year. So you say, oh, the advertising campaign was great. That's not direct marketing. Now, the merging has been going on a lot uh, over the years because, you know, why not put a website in, a toll-free number or a phone number, or even, you know, if it's a, if it's a print ad, you know, you have a coupon or something like that. My first book, The Advertising Solution, like profiled six greats of the Mad Men era and before. I mean, I go back to 1930 with Claude Hopkins, but these are six guys who are, um, they're direct marketers, but they're trapped in a general advertiser's body because that's what it was when they were doing their work. But even in 1923, Claude Hopkins said, you know, the time has come when all advertising is science while science is not general advertising and display advertising. Um, science would be math, you know, science and math to calculate how many orders I got, how many prospects I got from that ad. So that's a, a quick definition of what direct marketing is, and I fell in love with it almost from the start. I was in I was in the uh, at boardroom. I started in 1981, um, and uh, it was the day Ronald Reagan, U.S. president, uh, was shot. He he survived, of course, yeah. but uh, and I survived at boardroom for 34 years. I, I fell in love with it because it's advertising. Like if you want feedback on your on on what you do. And I always did, you know, I always want to be like, you know, we all want to be liked. We all want to be successful. Over my 40 years, I have predicted whether this package would win or this package would win or this letter would win. And that, um, you know, it doesn't matter what I think it, you know, the people who are, have their hands on their wallets or the people who are responding to, uh, an offer just to get on your, into your online family or your list, um, that they, they're the ones that speak. And so you can, you can guess all you want. There's no guessing. And so that was what I really fell in love with, with direct marketing. It was such a, it was a good kick in the head um, to just get, you know, the, the feedback, the, the immediate feedback in many cases, especially especially online. I was obsessive with it.
0: What was it that appealed to you? You know, was it, because there's a lot of testing is is a numbers game, isn't it? Marketing. It is true you know, it is a question of winners and losers and the, and the reactions that those things get.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I was I, I was an English major in college. So, I you know, I, I'm not a math guy at all, but I realized that, you know, I can't I might be up not by be able to figure out all the, the spreadsheet stuff. But, you know, give me a dashboard that tells me what I need to know about front end, back end, you know how the name responded to another offer so I could look at lifetime value. I, I was all over that. And you know, I, I I'm still not a math guy, yeah. but I am I am I'm obsessed. You you know I have a I have a thing on my wall here that uh is from Dick Benson who's one of the great direct mail guys ever. And he was one of my gurus and very close I was very close to him. And he has a he has a saying it says you have to believe your numbers. And it sounds simple, but it's not. It's it's like you know that's all you got. Yeah. You know you're not going to guess. Oh, this this package did this. This package did this. This one was better, but I'm going to go with the one that's not as good. You yeah. got to believe them, and then that's your control. Yeah. And then you've got to go against it with another package to beat it. Yeah. Until you beat it, the control is your is your best package. So, yeah, it is a numbers game. It really is. It's, it's math, yeah. which I would have been I would have avoided. In <laughs> but but I'm I'm not avoiding it because I could. I it's not advanced math, which is good.
0: Yeah and it is you know i think you know it's something i'm learning on my own journey as a as a sort of entrepreneur it is about tweaking your way to success it's it's very rare that you know you, something just works you have to sort of see each bit of the puzzle and make sure that that's working and then I, hope that it all comes together at some point
1: yeah it is and and i i would add a little thing on that on tweaking that um you know, when you have a control, like a letter, or that's a winner or a, a promotion or whatever, email, whatever, and you're trying to beat it, you can tweak it, right, with, with a new subject line, with a new headline, with, with a new lead. But the interesting thing that I found is that tweaks will get you, you know, 10% lift, 15% lift. And, and then what you do is you still have this control. And then you go at it with a completely new approach. So, I often say that the creative is the least important thing in your in your marketing mix until it's not. And what I mean by that is that, you know, it's a three-legged stool in direct marketing. It's your list, your offer, and your creative. Mm-hmm. And it's usually they say it's 40-40-20. It's 40% list, 40% offer, and 20% creative that mix it it maybe it's a little different, mm-hmm. but I made it in my book. I made it 41, 39, 20, because the list is the most important initially. Because if you don't have the right list, you could have the best creative and the best offer. No one's going to respond. Yeah. But if you have a, a a perfect list, like an affiliate, someone who's so in tune with what you're selling, the the you could, you could have a, a red box with a flashing arrow For your creative and an offer that's mediocre and you're going to get some sales but the key is that you get the list dialed in then you invest in the creative so the creative is the least important until it's not you get the you get the list dialed in you get a decent offer that you're going to use then you invest in the creative and then it's no longer a tweak then it's like a full-blown package but you gotta you gotta test in tweaks until you figure out what you're at and then That's when you can invest in creative and it's not, it's silly to invest in the creative until you understand that you have, you know, the lists under control and you have the right audience for what you're doing.
0: Yeah. And that, and that's absolutely true for for marketing and speaking as well. If you're you're speaking to the wrong people, it doesn't matter how good your message is. It's not going to be resonate with them. So yeah. And they'll
1: throw tomatoes at
0: you too. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. Thank you for that. That's That's a great explanation. So working at boardroom, there's, you know, in direct marketing terms, there's this myth around boardroom. It's like, you know, it feels like it was a special place and a special time and it must have been brilliant. And I know you were there for 34 years. So, you know, to to get the full picture is probably not going to have enough time. But I wondered if you could pick out three of your favorite moments. Um, what, What were they and why were they favorites for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, two of them are very obvious. One is um, when Gordon Grossman, who was another one of our great consultants, he was the guy who built the Reader's Digest in the '60s, and he was a consultant for us for many years. And um, we were doing books um, that were kind of great. We had we had books and newsletters at Boardroom. It was a simple business, and so, but the books were mostly the best-selling books were greatest hits of the newsletters. So we had Bottom Line Personal, which was a consumer newsletter. And then against that, we also had the book of secrets, the book of inside information, the, the uh, big black book. And it was all like combinations of our newsletters, whether it was bottom line personal, bottom line health. And we kept on slicing the salami. You know, we used yeah. to say, how many ways can you slice the salami? But the book, some people buy books, some people buy newsletters, and it worked. Yeah. But at some point, you're going to run out of content, right? You know, your, your inventory is, is fixed. And so Gordon said to me one day, and this was a great moment of boardroom history. He said, and he had this gruff voice. He says, "What do you? What do you? Why do you think every all your content has to be your own?" And I thought about that, and uh, I, I I launched um, with with the help of my team. But it was you know I, I kind of it wasn't a new idea, but it, I did it in a certain way. And I went, I basically went to Barnes and Noble with a hand truck. I mean, they, they, they let me use a hand truck that they had in the back and I walked through the Barnes and Noble, basically in all the categories that our database would be able to buy from. And so I went to the health category. I went to the, the consumer cars, autos, home, you know, autos and home category. I went to uh, financial taxes, estate planning, and I started getting all these books and then I, I created a, a funnel for myself. I mean, I, I think I spent about $900 worth of books that day. And I remember putting them in my 1984 Camry, you know, and um, I put them in the trunk and, the, you know, the tailpipe was like, you know, dragging on the ground. And so I brought them back to the office and I had my editors look at them first. And it was like, OK, you decide which ones you don't want, like, we're going to put our name on these theoretically, at some point, we're going to get the rights and all that. But we're gonna we're gonna put the bottom line name or boardroom name on this. Would you approve basically with changes? And they, you know, they they threw out some books that they thought were not right. And then the the, the key of this, and and I think why it really worked amazingly, is I went to some of our best copywriters, and I asked them, you know, how would you promote these books? Like, how would you you know, could you promote them in direct mail? Because they're sitting on the shelf at Barnes & Noble with an inch of dust on them. Mm. They've probably sold less than 5,000 copies. And so I won't tell, it's a, it's a long story. It's in my blog uh, page on my, on my site. But um, basically it was an amazing uh, effort in that we started buying the rights to um, books that were in the trade in, in bookstores and got the direct marketing rights. At the time we, we got, we, we, it was direct marketing, so we could do it online when the internet came 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 about. But anyway, we um, we launched you know a forty million dollar book operation based on all of that, all of those books plus our own books. And the, the the amazing thing was is that once we did it, we also concept tested the books that would do the best, and then we only launched the ones that scored high. But the beauty of it was that. You know, we, I remember we had one book that sold about 800,000 copies in direct mail. It probably sold, you know, again, 5,000 copies in trade. So they're the the publisher's only getting 5% royalty. So, I mean, they're making money, but they're making more money on 5% than they ever made on the book. So it was a win win for everybody. And that was a big, big thing. Mm -hmm. So that was one. Uh, Two would be when we got into the infomercial business on TV. It's a long story, it's in my book. Um, But the basic story is that. I wanted to be TV was one medium I never could crack, and so I was trying to crack you know two minute like spots in the 80s, and I never could do it. We had an unknown brand, you know we were the most un we had we had a million subscribers at one point. The bottom line, personally, I always said we're the most unknown million subscriber newsletter or or magazine in the world. Yeah. So we couldn't we couldn't so I couldn't it, two minutes just wasn't long enough. And then in 1989 the the restrictions on advertising. Ronald Reagan did a did us all a favor by releasing on the TV industry the infomercial which is 28 and a half minutes so I wanted to be in the infomercial business in the biggest way and in 1989 I tried but I couldn't figure out what the offer would be. I mean that was when Tony Robbins came to to fame with You know, he had he had the VHS tapes and he had the pamphlets. He had all this stuff but I, I, my thing would have been like two, I would have had our newsletter. I'd have a book, but it just didn't feel like I could do it. And then, you know, I kept on thinking, I want to be in TV. I want to be in infomercials. And then fast forward, that was 1989. Fast forward to 2004. I'm I'm a slow learner. So 15 years (laughs) later, I'm I'm up at night. I I have a blog post about this, you know, how my insomnia led to 200 million in sales. And I was watching TV at two in the morning with insomnia and, there's Kevin Trudeau selling one book for $29.95 in 28 and a half minutes. Now, I, I called the number and I realized how he's doing it, which was, you know, you get on the phone and you're on the phone for like, you know, three weeks, you know, getting everything on the back end, including Walmart discount cards and everything. But I, I, now I understood how you could do a single book with premiums that I, I was not going to do it the way he did it, but I had my model and that created i probably the franchise because the, the we we went on tv and infomercials that was probably 200 million dollars alone but then we went online with the infomercial offer and we went into back into direct mail with the book uh, in, in in with the infomercial offer as well because it was the pe- it was two guys sitting on the, on the on on tv you know getting interviewed Hugh Downs the legendary newsman Arthur Johnson the legendary copywriter and uh yeah, so that was that was another big thing in in my career, and then the other thing is just a small thing, but it ended up being big because I think it was realizing that being a list manager was actually a great way to be at becoming at marketing. Yeah. You know, you, I could look at it as just renting, you know, selling the boardroom list in the marketplace, but understanding audiences and how they respond and how they react, looking at the the human behavior of a list—that yes. um, was—that was like a moment that led to like a, my whole career. I mean, I I always start with the list. I always start with the audience, and you know what? Most of the best copywriters do too. Yeah. You know, if you look at the best copywriters, Gary Halbert, Gene Schwartz—they, you know, their best quotes are stuff like "It's not a brilliant burger; it's it's a it's it's a hungry crowd." Yes. and, and yes. so it's all about the audience and how you relate to them and how you market to them, and so that that just set the stage for where I was always going to be coming from, and I still do. I still do.
0: Brilliant. No, that's so, it's so important. And funnily enough, you mean you mentioned there uh, Eugene Schwartz, and and I first found out about you when I was hunting down a copy of Breakthrough Advertising because you know it they were. There were some big figures when I was looking, and I'm like, "What? Yeah, like three hundred to nine
1: hundred dollars on eBay, Amazon."
0: And eventually, I found it. I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it was it was you know, was through you. It was a it was a good price. Um, And this book again was a mythical book that everyone was talking about. So I I thought I must get must get this book. And now you basically agreed with Eugene's wife, I think, that you'd be the custodian of this work. Why do you think that this book is still so relevant and important for successful marketing today?
1: I got to tell you, you know, it was written in 1966. Um, I just blogged about the fact that I got a, uh, I got a, I got an original um, on eBay for like $150, which is just a little bit more than I sell it for. Yes, I yes. think that guy, if, that, if, he, if he realized he was selling an original for $150, he could have gotten $2,000 for it. Yeah. So why is it so valuable? Because it was written in 1966 by a genius copywriter, marketer, and I guess you know, without being too, uh, you know, not without making Gene a god, which he was close to being. <laughs> he, he was he was like a a purveyor of human behavior, of the marketplace, of everything around him, and you know, a voracious reader. Just you know. He read National Enquirer and he read, you know, scholarly journals on everything. And so Breakthrough Advertising, it's, it, it, the first three chapters are just, they're monumental and, and 100% relevant today. And if you read Breakthrough Advertising, it's an advanced text too for a copywriter or for a marketer. But if you can just get, you know, and I, I, I still read it, you know, regularly or I go, to, I, I, I refer to it. I have it on my desk here. I refer to it because it's, it, it, you know, he talks about the states of awareness mm-hmm. in the marketplace. And it really, I mean, nobody was talking about this stuff in 1966. I don't think people are still talking about it now. Only They're only talking about it now because Gene brought it up. But it's also, you know, people practice things like creating segments in your list and then creating messages for the different segments and all of that. But Gene went so deep on that concept and it was, it was an amazing um, journey. And so when he, when he was alive, the book was out of print then. We printed, I mean, I think uh, Marty Edelston, who was the founder at Boardroom and my mentor, uh, we printed up like 250 of them and kind of gave them out to friends and family in a way. Um, like I didn't even sell it. You know, I just wanted to have it and, and have it printed. And then when I left Boardroom, I uh, I left with the with the rights for anything that boardroom wasn't going to market anymore, which uh-huh. is all the direct marketing education stuff, because I also have Dick Benson's book. I have Gordon Grossman's book. I have I have another book from Gene. I have, you know, Bill Jamie, who was a great copyright. I have his collection. So anyway, I I just went to Barbara, who's Gene's wife, and I said you know, we got to bring this book back. And I knew that that it needed to be sold, but I never really set up a, a, a selling operation for it. And I remember the, the moment I realized that I had to get the book out there is I saw a, a posting on Amazon for a book, you know, a, a copy of Breakthrough Advertising for $925. And then it was one on eBay that was sold for over a thousand. So I'm thinking, I got to get this book out. I mean, I got it. So, you know, Barbara and I made a deal. Um, We've sold thousands of them at $125 each. People think it's expensive. A lot of people write to me and said, what a bargain at $125. And, you know, because I have royalties and I have production and, you know, it's not, and I've not, I've not put it on Amazon. I've not, you know, kind of, I've done a little advertising and AdWords, but I'm not, I'm not looking to make the most money possible. I want it to be in the hands of the right people who can use it. So it's just a brilliant book. Um, and then he had another book, the brilliance breakthrough, which was even more rare. I mean, there was like one copy on Amazon at one time for $2,000 Wow! and it was because it was signed by, it was signed by uh, Gene Schwartz to Marty Edelston, my mentor. Okay. So someone got a hold of it. The guy who's selling it must, I, you know, I must know who it is. And so that one, I couldn't even get like, Barbara had one copy of it like one single copy of the original and there were no copies anywhere I'd have to spend two thousand dollars. So I had to like send the book itself to the printer Promise them that they give it back to me And they were basically created files from the hardcover book. That was my only copy That I had that I could get and so we, we published that with a workbook because it's that one's not advanced but it is how Gene wrote, because it's all about the words you use and um, very precise. And and I, I created a workbook with it because there are exercises in the book yeah. that Gene gives you to like fill in the blanks. It's like Mad Libs. I don't know if you know Mad Libs, but there were these things where you just fill in the blanks yeah. of and, and choosing the right words for everything you do is so critical. Yeah. And um, so I, I took all the exercises, put them in a workbook. So it comes with the book because, you know, I was taught as a kid, you don't want to write in, in collectible books. books right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right.
1: So, you know, and that, you know, that's been, doesn't sell as well as breakthrough advertising, but for anybody, I, I have people who uh, buy it for their kids uh, to learn how to write, you know, um, like Gene yeah. and Gene was not, you know, with all of his, his, his studies and all of that, he, he wrote right to the jugular, you know, he wrote, yes. you know, he went right at it. And, um, that book helps you do that. So I have both books and, and I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm the shepherd. And I, I take that very seriously.
0: That's brilliant. Yeah. And I, I do often when I'm talking to speakers and, and the way that I teach speaking is, is incorporating, you know, because I believe if you do a great talk, you can take people around the whole of that customer journey from, from not being problem aware to, to, to right through to know, like, and trust and that's what I try and get across to people. But yeah, having that sort of understanding of the customer journey or the audience journey that you need to take people on is 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 really important.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Fantastic, cool. Well, the most recent book that uh, I've got of yours is called Overdeliver. And I got it when it first came out. And as we were talking about before, all the bonuses you gave with this book certainly lived up to the title. It was definitely sort of, Know, walking the talk why did you want to write that book it was there you know what was the reason for it
1: you know I, I wasn't obsessed with writing a lot of people are obsessed with writing a book um and I was not but my first book was the advertising solution that I told mm-hmm. you about yes. you the six the six uh, madmen so to speak and Craig Simpson who co-wrote that book with me he approached me and said I'm writing this book I'll do the legwork in the text of these six guys and you need to, you know, you can edit it in a way that makes it more practical. And that's what we did. We were a great team. But I realized when I did that book, that I was closer to writing my own book. Um, I was closer than I thought, like, I didn't know if I was going to ever write a book, but I thought maybe. And when I wrote that, and people told me that, Brian, you know, the stuff that's from you in that book, it wasn't better than Craig's, but it was your voice, but the book is in Craig's, in Craig's voice. Cause I didn't think going back and forth in two voices would have been smart. I figured let it be in Craig's voice. Everything. And I, I, I participated a lot, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't go back to my voice. Craig said, Brian said, Craig said, Brian said, yeah. so I said, you know what? I, I and, and a couple of my coaches and mentors like Jay Abraham and, and Perry Marshall, they said something like, you know, this is this is a good book, but it's not you. Yeah. And so that, that kind of stuck with me. So that was one of the reasons why I started Overdeliver. Then I realized I had like four years of blog posts. So I thought, okay, my book, the blog posts represented what I was thinking over four years in different states. So I said, all right, I'll just put the blogs in a book and it'll be great. And that would be like just a hodgepodge of stuff. I found a developmental editor, which I didn't even know existed, um, which is not a ghost writer. It's not a punctuation editor, but it's like, a, they help you. And I didn't even know that that existed. And I found her, um, Laura Gale, she was wonderful. She lives in Portugal. And she said, I want to do this book with you. Um, and she, uh, we, she came to the States. We spent two days or three days going over every blog. I printed them out. I put them into chapters. What else I wanted to add. And then the book started coming into, into shape. And then the uh, I was almost ready to go, uh, you know, publish it myself or in a hybrid model with a, a publisher that, you know, it's almost like a self-publishing hybrid model. And then Hay House, which is a, a wonderful publisher, um, they publish more personal development books than anybody. They had a they had a new business imprint and they came to me and said, do you have a contract for your book yet? Because I know the, I know the CEO of the company mm-hmm. and I kind of did. But I, I, I wrote, I called him anyway, why? And he wanted to publish it uh, as one of the first books in their business imprint. And I got out of the first contract gracefully. And uh, that's the story of Overdeliver. The, the, the bonuses, which are at overdeliverbook.com, are really the, basically, I, I, you know, I have the gall to, to, to title a book Overdeliver. I guess I got to overdeliver on the bonuses, right? And so I wanted people to not go directly to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, but I wanted them to go to the site, see what I was going to give away, but then they could go to, there's buttons on there. They can go to any of those booksellers. They come back to the site. They put their email in, they put their, um, the order number in, they hit, you know, access and they get access to this amazing bonus package, which has, you know, 19 keynotes from Jay Abraham. It's got a swipe file from Dan Kennedy that he prepared for my Titans of Direct Response event exclusively in 2014. A a really great swipe file. I created a swipe file. It's it's 400 pages of like the best direct mail going back to 1900. Mm -hmm. And you'd say, oh, what do I need that for? Well, you'll you'll never you'll never be you'll never be short of a a subject line again.
0: (laughs) Uh, Absolutely.
1: Just because it was direct mail, you know, direct mail and email. You know, it's copy. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's writing to an audience. So it's, it's you know. And um, yeah, I have uh, I have a uh, Gary Bensavenga, who's one of the greatest copywriters who ever lived. Uh, he's he's living now, but he's retired. I put together his Bensavenga bullets into a, into its one PDF. I have Dick Benson and Gordon Grossman's classic books as a PDF on that site, uh, which aren't available anywhere. And then one little side note, uh, it came out April 9th, 2019. And in April 10th, 2019, I had a stroke, massive yes, stroke.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And, you know, I, I, I hate to say it this way, but, I, you know, I came really close to dying. It was like a, I, had a, I, got, I got an AFib, I got a blood clot. And if I didn't get to the hospital when I did, I either would have been paralyzed or I would have been dead. And so when I, when I, when I got back to, I, you know, whatever normal would be, I thought about like, what would I have left? Um, had I died and you know, the book is one thing, but it was interesting that I realized that the site overdeliverbook.com, was more of a, I hate to use the word legacy. Cause it says you're dead. I like, I like living legacy. So now it's a living <laughs> legacy, but it, it was more of a living legacy because it, it honored like all of my mentors mm-hmm. living and dead, like, and you know, i'm I'm a big believer in the movie Coco if you've ever seen it, but yes. it's it's like you're not you are you're only you're only really dead if you're no longer remembered. And that site because the internet lives on will have these like Gordon Grossman and Dick Benson, they're already forgotten almost, yes. but they're never going to be forgotten because I have two of my bonuses are them. Yes. So I think that it, it was I, I mean the timing was not perfect, of course. Mm but you know and i'm going to relaunch the book cuz you can relaunch a book anytime yeah. but it's um yeah so overdeliverbook.com was much more of a an achievement in a way than the book itself after the fact the yeah. book but i wouldn't have had it without the book so you know and so that's the story of overdeliver i don't know if that answered the question
0: yeah absolutely and if you had to sort of say in a, in, a, in a sentence or so what the book helps you do you know, for people that might be interested in going to take a look, what, how would you sort of put that in a sentence?
1: So the thing is, before you write a book, you got you to gotta, you gotta set up, like, what do you, you want to write a book for? What I wanted to do was not a memoir, but I wanted to, you know, kind of look at the three legs, you know, yeah. uh, list, offer, creative. I wanted to um, talk about things like original source, which is chapter two. I wanted to talk about, like, how paying postage made me a better marketer. Not to say direct mail is the king of media now, which it isn't, but how being a a slave to discipline of direct mail, which costs you four hundred, five hundred dollars, a thousand email costs you like forty cents, yeah. and so you know, but you still have to have the same discipline. So I so I figured I, I had some really good things to say. I think about those aspects, the three legs. And then things like customer service and fulfillment being a marketing function and lifetime value and continuity. So I I, I knew I had a substantial book. I, I wasn't going to sell it free for shipping and handling because I wasn't looking to get people into a funnel. Yeah. Um, and I really just wanted people to – I the reason why I set up overdeliverbook.com was to get them on my list, become part of my online family. And then, you know, what I do is I fish without bait. You know, I – I just, you know, I blog every Sunday. I offer my stuff only. I don't do affiliates. Um, they can buy, they can not buy, they can be on my list forever and never buy a thing. I have a lot of free content on my site at briankurtz.net. Um, so it's sort of like, um, I just wanted to build my list yeah. with the book. And then, and then the book was a teaching vehicle. I mean, I'd like to do maybe a, what uh, Jason Fladley, who's a genius in webinars, calls an e-class because a lot of people buy a book and they don't they don't really read it or they don't absorb it so i'm thinking i haven't done it yet but i think i might do like a a series of webinars like one on each chapter of the book so that i can walk them through the book and then it becomes like a course of sorts of the book Mm -hmm. and he calls it not a webinar not a course but he calls an Mm e-class and so that would be the next step because i want to make sure that the principles are are out there. I didn't invent them, but I, I can, I can, I connected the dots on a lot of stuff. And then I can, um, you know, have a lot of interaction, you know, in a group with people on the e-class asking questions and going back and forth because I'm still a student when it comes to online marketing. Um, I'm a teacher when it comes to direct mail, but I still have stuff to learn there too. So, um, so the book for me was an educational list building Um, living legacy project, but right now I'm still, I'm kind of relaunching it. So, um, and I've sold about 10,000 copies, which isn't too bad.
0: Not too bad. So yeah, people should go in and check that out. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I guess that people will find part of it in the book. And if they get on your list as well, that they'll sort of, they'll get this from you, I think. But what I've read about you from your time at Boardroom to your work with the Titan stuff that you do today one thing that comes through is your ability to read and understand people. And you've talked about this and build amazing relationships and connections that deliver results. Would you say that was your superpower? Yeah,
1: it's not. So when I went to the Landmark Forum, which is a self-improvement seminar, yeah. Video,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, they have it in, in Europe too. And I remember I did the advanced course yes. and the was is four days and you go there the first day and you say who you are. Yes. And then the fourth night you get up in front of the stage with the 50 people that you've been with for four days and you declare your possibility yes. and, and you let, you don't, you're not supposed to rehearse it. You're supposed to let the crowd tell you what it is when you look around. And so I didn't rehearse anything, but the first day when I got there, I was, I was no, everybody do the right thing that was who I was. Know everyone, do the right thing. And then on the fourth night, I got up there, I stood there and I said, I am the possibility of contribution. And there's such a difference between those two things yeah. because know everyone do the right thing is networking. It's, it's, you know, being a strategic schmoozer, which I was once called. <laughs> when I was 30. Um, so, you know, it's, it, so the superpower is not schmoozing. It's not cuddling up to people. It's not you know just adding to my Facebook uh, uh, friends. It's not having the biggest list. It's actually trying to go deep with a lot of people. And because I've been in the business for forty years, I ended up going deep with a lot more people. Because you know if you if you just spend an extra half hour or an hour with somebody in a forty year span, you're way past you know acquaintance. Yeah. My wife always kids me. She goes so, do you? Uh, how are your 190 best friends today? <laughs> so, but they're not all best friends. But I, I like to go deep with people. I like to find out what we have in common, what I can contribute to them, and that's how we connect.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's not
1: networking, but how I've developed this amazing network is because I contributed first, and I talk a lot about. It. I'm, I'm doing in this presentation on Thursday. I'm talking about a concept that Dan Sullivan teaches in strategic coach. He's a coach for entrepreneurs and he teaches, you know, the five ways you get paid. And I'm, I'm going deep with that because I think that it's, it's brilliant because, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to be utilized. You have to enhance people. You have to appreciate people and you have to refer people if they're referable, you do those four things. The fifth is cash. The fifth is cash. So like, if you do those four things right and you don't make money, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong, Hmm. but you're not doing it to just make money because you're doing it in, in the spirit of being utilized, appreciating, um, um, enhancing all of that. So I think that is my, if there is a superpower in it, um, I think what happened was when I was doing the acknowledgements for over deliver, it was painful because I, I think I counted it finally because uh, I was just writing down names of people that definitely contributed to my career because I contributed to them in some way. It's and me. there were 500 of them, 500 people. Wow. Now, some people I gave a little extra because they were, you know, but, and, and they were all part of, you know, be, being able to go a little deeper than under the surface with some. And a lot of them, like, you know, Gene Schwartz and Marty Edelston and Dick Benson and, you know, people like that, you know, I was, I was, you know, they were my mentors, my real mentors. And, and I, I also say that, you know, you don't choose your mentors, your mentors choose you. And I really believe that, you know, yeah. I, when you're, when you're, when you're being utilized, you're enhancing, appreciating, referring, you know, they will tell you when they're your mentor. It's a long haul to get mentors, real mentors,
0: because
1: yeah. they have to choose you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, I guess I
1: guess it is a superpower, but I don't think of it as a superpower. I just think of it as forty years contributing to connect.
0: I think that's the way there, isn't it? Sometimes, though, what we do well, we don't value as much in ourselves because it comes easy. I mean, not that it's not you know that that it was easy for you, but there's an aptitude there and and everything. That's cool. Okay, so. Based on your experience, what do you think are the three, and we may have already covered them to be fair, in terms of the three pillars, but the three most important aspects of direct marketing that people should be adopting to increase yeah, I mean, today?
1: I, I was, there is a big three for me. Mm. It's the 40-40-20 rule, the yeah. 40, 40 20 rule. Know the three and this is you have to go deep on these, but those are the three legs of direct marketing, list, offer, creative, or messaging. Mm. Um and so understand that list is more important. So it's 40, it's the 40, what I could, what I call the 41 39 20 rule. The second one would be lifetime value yeah. that, you know, that you don't have to make money on the first sale. You wanna, you wanna massage. It, it was funny. I was on a, I was on a live cast uh, with a, a, a well known uh, social media expert and she had like 30 speakers come on for 15 minutes. One question. And the question was, how do you use social media in your business? I didn't know what I was gonna say, so I just said it. And it was, uh, and it was uh, I use social media to, um, to get people to, to opt into my list or my online family, and then I romance them. <laughs> and that's what I do. I, and romance can be, you know, fishing without bait, which I talked about. You know, the idea that you're on a lake and most people will throw the hook in the water with the bait, you, you get, you get, you get a pro and the fish are your prospects and then you, you reel them in and then you got a funnel sitting there on the boat and you just get them into a funnel. Great way to do it. What I do is more like the fish are in the water and I'm shining a spotlight over the lake and that's my content. That's what I give them. I make offers, but I don't do it. Like I do it in my PSs of my blog. Cause I don't even want to put it in the blog. I just do all of that. And uh, you know, my 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 theory is that life is long, and it's a little longer for me than a year and a half ago, which is good. But <laughs> yeah. The life is long, and you know, eventually, if they, I'm here when you need me. I got this from Dean Jackson. I'm here when you need me, and um, whenever you're ready, and then the fish will jump in the boat when they're ready, and that's that's what I do, and so that is, um, um, you know, very very important when you're talking about lifetime value because if someone jumps in your I have you know I have people that jump in my boat after they've been on my list for 2 years by mm-hmm. the buy breakthrough advertising they join my Titans accelerator you know inexpensive but you know very very uh over delivered mastermind and they jump in and uh you know I I think you know they're going to stick around for a lot longer than trying to hook them with a free plus shipping and handling book and you know those, some of those people will stick around, but not as many. So I like to have people for the long haul. Um, cool. That's, so lifetime value is two. And the third is RFM, which is recency frequency monetary, which is how, every, and it's not just a direct marketing rule of thumb. It's, it's how people buy. It's how, it's human behavior. Yeah. You know, people who buy more recently are more valuable than people who buy less recently People who buy more frequently are more valuable than people who buy less frequently, and people who spend more money with you overall are worth more than people who spend less. Putting those three things together is the key. And every model I've ever done in direct marketing, I mean, we used to do these extravagant models on millions of names, and it was all based on RFM. Like the best names to mail were always the people that were the most recent, the most frequent, and spent the most money. And outside, it's transaction data. You could have all the demographic data you want. You can have age, you can have incidence of children in the household. You can have anything you want, but I wanna have the transaction data up top. And that will almost always determine if someone buys from you, will they buy from you again? So those would be the three concepts that I teach to start. It's direct marketing 101 as far as I'm concerned.
0: Brilliant, thank you for that. And then how important do you think it is for a direct marketer to have speaking as part of their skill set and strategy?
1: I thought, I mean, I didn't think about it. Like in 1984, I was in the business for three years. I, you know, I, I, I'm I, not bragging, but I, because I sold lists different than every other list manager, I, I got a reputation for being the best list manager in the industry. Not that that's, you know, something to hang my hat on. Um, I always say I was... I was voted most likely to be a list manager in my high school yearbook. So I was, um, but you know, I, I really, I really love the the concept of of really selling it that way, and um, I, you know, went out and and asked some industry people who were running the big conferences, can I get on a panel? Can I speak? I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I knew, I knew, I could speak on something, and I just started speaking and. I realize that it's, it's got to be part of the mix. You know, over 40 years, I, I've really, I don't know if I'm a much better speaker, but I've developed places where I want to speak. I don't necessarily have to get paid to speak if it's something that will, like the do lectures, I think they're paying my travel. In, in, I'm speaking in Wales yeah. next yeah. July. Great, great program, the do lectures. And I think they're paying my travel. They're not paying me a fee but I'm going to do it because I, I want to, I want to be in that audience. I want to, you know, and again, what's my goal? My goal is to get people to know me, to to shine a light on the lake. People will jump in my boat if they want to, if they don't, that's fine. I'm not going to do a sales pitch. I'm not going to give away anything. I info summit, which is a Dan Kennedy event. I've spoken there and I remember that after my speech, I got a standing ovation and i'm not bragging either because it was like because i didn't sell anything at the end that's why i got a standing <laughs> ovation everybody at the event was selling and i wasn't selling you know so but i think that it, it's evolved into now i am so i don't i don't just speak all the time in fact you know now with covid you know i'm i'm speaking at a virtual event on thursday mm-hmm. 500 people from my from from this spot right here um, and that'll be very rewarding. You know, it's for, uh, it's for tax resolution guys who want to learn marketing. I mean, that's, that's my, that's a core market for me. It's another segment of people who have, you know, marketing isn't everything. It's the only thing It's on the flap of my book. You know, it's not that I'm a marketing whore, but you've got to know marketing and, you know, speaking is a big part of getting out there. And so in addition to everything I do in the U S to speak. I started doing speaking internationally, and I look for international uh, opportunities because, and again, it's not that I'm a snob. It's not I'm like I'm not the ugly American, but you know whether we like to admit it or not, America is where marketing is at you know the highest level by far, Absolutely. and I've seen it. I've seen it play out. I'm in a mastermind um, with Jeff Walker, and there are like many international people there, and they speak English fluently. They came to the States, they learn, like in Jeff's case, he, he teaches product launch formula. They learned it, they went back to their countries and they're all leaders. I know the leader in France, I know the leader in Hungary, I know the leader in Italy, I know the leader in all these countries. And so I started saying, well, I should go speak there. You know, because then, not that, you know, not that I can, not that I can, I'm not dumbing down what I do. I would speak on some of the topics that I've mentioned in this interview, But I would, it was, it's so rewarding, you know, to give them what I know, um, you know, Jay Abraham Abraham says to me, it's, you know, it's like, it's my moral obligation. I did it. So you got to teach it. And so I've spoken in in France uh, twice. I've spoken in Hungary. I've spoken in Italy recently uh, before COVID. I spoke in, um, I've spoken in the Netherlands, spoken in Germany. Um, And each one is a little different. Some are more behind than others as far as marketing, but they're all eager to learn. And um, as long as I don't come off as an arrogant, ugly American, I think I can get through to them. And, uh, and, and so the speaking has gone from, you know, being on a panel in 1984, talking about lists to talking about everything I've learned over 40 years in as many foreign countries. Now, and now I'll be in Wales, in the UK. And, um, you know, I'm looking, I'd like to speak in Australia. Again, I have to get, like in Wales, I'm going to have to get the language down on that. So, um,
0: <laughs> well, the speaking club is in, I think it's 162 countries now. So hopefully, wow. some, someone who's listening may, may well book you for that. So that'd be cool. Yeah.
1: And, you know, there's the added bonus of, you know, uh, I could go, I could afford to go visit these places, but, you know, it gives me an opportunity to see see areas with usually someone from the event. Uh, I hook up with in some way and they show me the country in Italy. uh, Italy was amazing. Italy. I did a, I was at a three-day event. I spoke, you know, for about seven hours on stage total. And what a great audience, not enthusiastic, but they were engaged. Like that's the way it is in in most of Europe. And um, one of the speakers was the top copywriter in Italy, uh, Marco Luzzo and His CEO and him, they invited me to their offices in Florence after the event. And what it it just we became like, again, um, I I was trying to contribute to them as much as possible to connect with them and with no expectation of a return. And the return was so unbelievable because they published over Deliver in Italian. Oh, wow. Fantastic. They uh, they join my mastermind, my high price mastermind, which is great because they'll give a different view of marketing and copy from the Italian. And so that that is just an just a, always an added bonus when I speak uh, in foreign countries. It can happen in the U.S. too, but I don't need the you know the them to roll out the welcome mat. I just I just need to they need to utilize me. I need to contribute to them, and then see where it goes. And it usually goes to a good place. Speaking is a, a key element, not if you, you, you know, you're going to have a personal brand whether you whether you like it or not, Yeah. so you might as well build it up. I don't want to be a guru, but I want to have a personal brand that people will follow so that I can contribute to connect to them. That's that's what it's about for me. That's
0: brilliant. You are very humble as well. That's the other thing I meant to say to you that does come across. Not I think it's come across in this interview, but certainly in what I read and the way that you... Talk about yourself uh, as well. So that's you know it's, you're a very thank very you. humble guy. So
1: thank you. I, you know it sometimes it comes off as like self deprecating, and people told me I shouldn't do that. Also, whenever I'm saying it sounds like bragging, I you know the the idea is that I've been in the business for 40 years, so I want to share. And when you're sharing about something that was like you know I wasn't saying 200 million dollars on TV to impress anybody. I was saying it because it it does get your attention because it's yeah. a real number. I'm not I'm not lying. And there's like a there's a quote that's attributed to a lot of different people. I think I I heard that Dizzy Dean, the baseball pitcher, was the first to say it. But he says it ain't bragging if you did it.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> you
1: know I appreciate you saying that. I I do like to be humble. Um. In fact, the le one of the last slides is in this in the presentation I'm doing on Thursday is uh. You know, you got to be humble even when you made it. And I don't know if I've made it or not, but by some people's estimation, I've made it.
0: Absolutely. Fantastic. OK, so the last sort of proper question I want to ask you is, based on your experience yourself and all of the amazing speakers you've seen in action like Jay Abraham and Dan Kennedy, what would you say is the one thing that speakers must do to make sure their message lands with an audience?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not, I'm not good at this, but I think there's a lot of different ways. So I think you have to know what your limitations are and where you excel. So Jay Abraham's a good example. Jay Abraham is not great. If you just say, Jay, can you speak on anything you want? Um, it, It won't be that good because he's best at problem solving. So you get Jay Abraham, you're lucky enough to get Jay Abraham have them do hot seats with people, have them, you know, be interviewed. Um, So that, and when he, so you have to, as a speaker from the speaker side, you want to be in an environment where you can excel the most. So that's, that's important. Dan Kennedy has, you know, he doesn't even use PowerPoint. He uses like an overhead projector. He calls it, it's an Elmo with like, you know, transparencies and you think he's fumbling with them and he's, he's not, but the content is so brilliant that, you know, that works for him. I mean, I think clearly, you know, if, if, if you're on stage and someone in the audience says, wow, he's so authentic or she's so authentic, I, I would turn to the person next, to, the person who said it and say, well, what else would they be? Like, if they're, if they're you know, there are comedians like uh, Stephen Wright is a comedian who's a different person on stage than he is in real life. That's an act, but you can't, you know, if you're gonna public speak in in, in B2B especially, you gotta be the same person on stage that you are off stage. So that's really, really important and that's the best speakers. And you know, there are, um, I know that a lot of people believe that you wanna get their attention up front. So um, I'm not that great at that, you know, tell a joke to start. Um, have bookends you know there are people that really have this down I'm sure you teach it but I'm not I'm not as um, formulaic as that but it works it really works so I have my own style but I, I, I've seen all of these styles in in play and I try to borrow what I can but it's very easy to go off the rails as you know and being very boring you never want to be boring
0: exactly and, Exactly.
1: Yeah. But I, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to get your message out. Um, And, you know, the first step is to be yourself on stage. And then after that, getting a little coaching from coaches like you. I'm I'm kind of satisfied with where I am, Um, but I always get feedback. I always get, always want to hear the bad news first. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, you're you're definitely authentic and and yeah, you're obviously doing the right stuff, uh, getting your message out there across the world. Well, listen, look, Brian, thank you so much for everything you said. Um, I do want to talk about where people can go. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but to really nail where people can go and find out more about you and what you do and and the books and everything else. But I have just a few more standard questions. Um, The first thing is, it's back to speaking again. What would you say the best thing speaking has done for you?
1: It's, it's, it's actually the same thing my book does. It's the same thing um, my email does in different numbers. But if you get people to, it's like a podcast. So mm-hmm. I'm on a podcast and, and people are getting to know me. If they've already hung, if they already stopped listening at this point to this podcast, they're n- not my audience. So it's okay. They have to know that I'm going to talk a lot. I'm going to write a lot and I'm going to share a lot. And it, you know, a lot of people don't like that. They want just to get to the nuts and bolts. Um, I can get to the nuts and bolts only and you know, that's one way to do it. But speaking is just another way to get qualified people onto your list or into your online family and then you romance them. So I, I, do, a, I do a speech, I mean, it's more than that. But th- if I get, you know, 10 people at of 500 to opt into my list after I give a speech, that's a win because those 10 are better than, you know, scraping someone's Facebook likes for 10,000. <laughs> but the other piece is important too, that, you know, you don't know what seeds you're planting for the future.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, you that's really important because again, life is long. You have to, you can't make, if you're not pitching, you're not going you don't have to make a sale, but you're, you're always selling. You're always mm-hmm. selling yourself. You're always selling something. So speaking is just a really good way to get yourself out there to find more people who are become fans of you. And if they become fans of you, eventually you're going to interact with them and hopefully be a fan of them. So for me, it's, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a live podcast in front of people in a way.
0: Nice. Absolutely. And I, and I use
1: podcasts for the same thing.
0: Absolutely. That's brilliant. And, and have you had like a bad gig? Is there one that you just like, oh my word, that was terrible?
1: Yeah, either I thought I didn't do a good job or it was like, you know, and again, numbers aren't important. But when someone says there's going to be, you know, 500 people there and there are 40, that's not bad in itself if there are 40 really good people. But it was a disaster event. And, you know, I realized when I was up there, I, I tried to I power through it. But there are events. There are podcasts that are that are duds. This one is not clearly <laughs> um, it's been going on for a long time. and You've asked great questions. But, you know, certain podcasts are duds. But I just write them off. You know, you got to be in it to win it. You know, they're not all going to be gems. Yeah, it's um, I've had a lot of duds, uh, both podcasts and speaking. But again, I I, I try to just brush them off because go on to the next one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've got to get back on the horse. Exactly. Okay. So what is the one book you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? That's going to be difficult for you, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I usually I usually have three. Um, uh, Breakthrough Advertising is one, just because it's so dense and all about human behavior. And that's what I'm, I ended up figuring out that was what I was about. Another one is The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Oh, yes. read it, yeah. You know, Seeking Your Personal Legend. Um, I've read that quite a few times and it's just it's a fable, but it's you know It's just really meaningful to me Um give and take by adam grant, which I thought was a fluff book and it's really deep And I I don't I don't you know The idea of there's givers takers and matchers in the world and you have to identify them It was very very meaningful And the fountainhead by ayn rand Is not for her political views per se but just because it was a a really powerful and I don't read a lot of fiction and so when I do read fiction I need to know it's going to be meaningful before which is probably a big mistake on my part so I probably don't read enough fiction but the fact that two of four were fiction I guess is meaningful to me
0: brilliant there's a couple there I haven't read actually so I'll check those out um okay what's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why
1: I've had a lot. I mean, I've had a lot of great mentors. Uh, The one that comes to mind of many is um, follow the anecdotal evidence uh, because like it's, you know, if you can go in, put your ego on the back burner, assume you're not going to invent something, but follow the anecdotal evidence, even if it's borrowed, because I always believe that stealing is a felony, but stealing smart is an art. Uh, that's why I'm into swipe files. That's why I'm into previous stuff, not to copy, but to give me inspiration, yeah. um, you know, marketing by walking around. So it's all in the same thing. And and so the anecdotal evidence, I mean, that's how I, got into, that's how I got into the TV business. You know, it's like I saw a guy doing something and I was able to adapt it. I was given the anecdotal evidence that there's a way to buy other people's books. I mean, those are big ideas that we're all like borrowed from following some anecdotal evidence that it's works, but I had to make it work for me. So that's, that's a big one. Um, hmm. I have, I have, I have, I mean, they're all in my blogs. I mean, I I'm, I'm big on, and I repeat them a lot, you yeah. know, um, you know, Pablo Picasso, you know, learn the rules like an artist. So you can learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. <laughs> the fundamentals are the bedrock, but then you, you go and break them once yeah. you know what the rules are. That's yeah. a big one for me too.
0: Brilliant, thank you. And then the very last question. I think this is going to be difficult for you. So the question is: If you could have one mentor, alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why?
1: I mean, I think I have some that I've had that are that are pretty damn good for what I'm doing for a living. Whether it's Marty Edelston or Gene Schwartz or Dick Benson. But I guess um, the, 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 the and I'm not saying this for the audience, um, but the person that pops into my mind is Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, uh, the quote from Churchill that I like is, you know, dodging bullets is exhilarating, basically, you know, basically, I, I have a blog post in my in my, on my blog page, that's the titan who saved the world. And I know he was a gruff guy, and I'm sure he had his flaws and all of that. But more so than the United States, I think Winston Churchill, by surviving the Battle of Britain, you know, was the beginning of the end for Hitler. Yeah. And he saved the world. And again, I I would say that if this was an American podcast, so it's timely. And it's funny when you said that living or dead, that was the image that came into my mind of him. But as far as as far as mentors for my industry, I'm pretty satisfied. <laughs>
0: yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> Brilliant. Brian, thank you so, so much for your generosity and and sharing all of that wonderful stuff. Now, I do want to say if people want to get uh, Overdeliver or check out everything that's there, that's overdeliverbook.com, yeah? Yeah,
1: www.overdeliverbook.com. It's the only way you should buy the book, not just because you're going to get on my become an online family member and I'll romance you, uh, but you're going to get bonuses that are incredible. Um, and for a $17 book, it's, it's worth it. Um, but if you don't want to spend the $17, it's fine. Just go to Brian, Uh It's got lots of free content. All my blogs from six years are all on there. So the book is on there in, in some respect in, in piecemeal. And there's um, all my products are there, but it's, you know, you can be on my list forever and never buy a thing so fine for and i have an and then the six uh, legends that i uh, in my first book the advertising solution that has a bonus site too which is www.thelegendsbook.com and that site has um has also a swipe file and videos of three of the legends david ogilvy gary halbert and Gene Schwartz. and it has a pdf of scientific advertising the illustrated and annotated version from claude hopkins so that that's a a mini version of overdeliveredbook.com but the legendsbook.com is also a wonderful site i think i think the advertising solution is like 12 dollar book or something and you can buy the kindle version of either book or the audio version and still get all the bonuses. So that's
0: good too. Cool. I'll have to check that one out. I haven't seen that one myself. Goodness. Okay, brilliant. And are you on social media at all?
1: I am. I'm, I'm on Facebook. So, um, you know, I don't have, a, I'm not bragging, but I don't have many friends left because I've hit the limit, but I've now done a corporate page. So that's cool. good. I'm on LinkedIn. Don't cool. use it that much, but um, it's a good way to meet people and move them over to my email list. <laughs> that's where I'm going to romance in. So, um, yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook. Well, we'll then, put all
0: the links to all of, all of those sites in the show notes and, uh, and a link to your Facebook page as well. And yeah, all I've got left to say to you is thank you so much. It's been an absolute love. honor and a privilege. Thank you. Same
1: here. And and your um, again, your questions were really good. And I, uh, I, I, I guess it, the timing is interesting because I'm, um, preparing to come to Wales to the Do Lectures yeah. uh, in July. So, if anybody on this on who's listening, I'm sure you I'm sure you have uh, uh, listeners all over the world. But those of you who are in the UK, um, I'd love to meet you at the Do Lectures next. It, it's a, I don't know if it's the DewLectures.com, but just put
0: we can D-O. put a link to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, if you can get a chance to see Brian live, do, do yeah. Do and anything. there's
1: a lot of interaction there apparently. And I don't know how much socially distant distance will have to be, but Excellent. Um, it, it should be a lot of fun.
0: Brilliant. That's smashing. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Sarah.
0: Well, I hope you love that conversation as much as I did. Brian's got so many stories and nuggets of gold to share. And I feel like we just sort of scratched the surface there. And I also hope that you can see how important speaking is as a marketing strategy and why my speaking frameworks are the things that I teach here and you know in my courses and so on blend in some of these magic marketing tools and tricks to help you share your message and change lives. Make sure you check out Brian's stuff it is gold and it's definitely worth joining his list sorry online family to get his Sunday newsletter. Brill well if you aren't subscribe to the podcast make sure that you do as we've got some great guests coming up alongside solo shows from me and if you do enjoy the speaking club then do me a big favor and leave a rating or review on apple podcast or wherever you're listening finally if you like my rap at the start then do message me and let me know at sarah archer 15 on instagram and if you never want to hear me rap again then let me know that too i'll let my daughter know she was completely right thank you so much for joining me and i'll be back next week and in the meantime don't forget to go out grab your life by the nuts and get cracking bye-bye snackable stories are short powerful engaging and very shareable Because of all that, they are great to use in Facebook Lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message, build your audience and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle for many online entrepreneurs, authors, experts and coaches. And that struggle can slow you down or stop you in your tracks. That's where my 7-Day Snackable Story Challenge comes in. Because over the course of just 7 days, I'm going to give you resources and training that will not only build your skills and confidence, but will get you a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. And the best bit is that all of it is completely free! To find out more, including if you meet the criteria to participate, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.